Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. Betches Media presents... A lot of them aren't even pretending to be in charge. Slow the testing down. Remove him from office. Cast a vote that will make you proud. The Betches Sup Podcast. Will you shut Who is up, man? Listen. Hello and welcome to the Betches Sup Podcast. I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. And today, this Friday, we're so happy to be here with CNN White House correspondent Kate Bennett. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. How are you? Are you caught in a snowstorm somewhere too? No, it's not that bad. It's chilly, but it's not, it's not terrible. Yeah, yeah. So Kate Bennett is the CNN White House correspondent uh, covering the East Wing, and she's also the author of Free Melania, an unauthorized biography. I was looking at this biography, and I noticed it came out almost a year ago, so happy, or just over a year ago, so happy one-year book anniversary. Thank you. Thanks very much. So your book, we want to talk to you basically about what it's like covering the East Wing, covering the White House, and what you expect the next iteration of this to be. So your book, Free Melania, The Unauthorized Biography, as I said, came out just over a year ago. I was wondering if you could share like an anecdote from your book that you think really captures who Melania Trump is and what motivates her. Hmm, that's, that's a really good question. I don't know if there's just one. Yeah. I think in general, my book, cap- there was certainly, I don't know if it still exists, but in the beginning times of the Trump administration, there was this myth that Melania Trump was trapped inside the White House <laughs> and scratching at the windows and tapping SOS free me codes and, you know, um, miserable. And, and, and what my book, and what I quickly learned covering her is that is just not the case. And so I, I think what my book does, and it's why there's a comma after the free mm-hmm. Melania, is um, debunk in several ways why she's not only not trapped, she's actually ostensibly one of the most free first ladies in modern uh, times. And um, and sort of does what she wants when she wants to, says what she wants, doesn't coordinate with the president, doesn't really do events, doesn't really do travel, um, kind of just does or wears what she wants to wear. Um, so it, it, there, the book, there are many examples uh, of this um, throughout the book that sort of demonstrate her very independent uh, mindset, um, but also her mystery and her sort of just, you know, steadfast um, cling to privacy that's made it very difficult for the country to get to know her. Um, You know, anecdotally, I really, I went to Slovenia to do research. Wow. And um, literally within about two hours of being in the country, I was like, oh, okay. Okay. Really? (laughs) I really just understood her much more um, being in Slovenia. They're, they're lovely people, but they do not express their emotions handily. They are not, um, they're not like Parisians. They don't like, you know, frown on, they're also not like Italians. They're sort of like, um, somewhere in the middle. 
and they, they mind their own business and they're very proud of that. Um, I always say there's, there's a saying I put in my book that sort of translates to, uh, in Slovenia, it's okay if your cow dies as long as your neighbor loses two cows. Whoa. <laughs> I get it. That's dark. So, do you know what I mean? Like, they're constantly yeah. prepared for bad news. You know, the interesting thing about Melania Trump is that she, I think, like the president, has made things difficult for herself. Um, one instance of that is, uh, I mean, like her kidney surgery, her kidney operation she had in 2018, you know, where she, she rightfully so was very private about it and then sort of didn't appear in public for several weeks after. And as you guys know, the, the rumor mill was like hot to trot. Like she's had plastic mm-hmm. surgery. She had a facelift. Like she weakened at Bernie's. Like, is she alive? <laughs> Where is she? <laughs> um, and it got pretty brutal. And uh, I knew how serious that operation was. Uh, and how legitimate it was, and how she did not have a facelift or anything. But I kept being like, can you just just send her out for a, why doesn't she just go do a school thing? Why doesn't she go wave mm-hmm. from the Truman Belt? Like, it, it has made me curious and frustrated at times covering her um, by how she doubles down. Like, she doesn't like being told what to do. So when everyone was like, Where's Melania? She is she alive? Is she at the White House? Is she recovering in Beverly Hills from a facelift? Like where is she? She could have just settled that lickety split with a quick, you know, hey fam, mm-hmm. I'm good, country, <laughs> and been on her way. And instead, she was like, I'm not going to come out just because you guys want me to. I'm not going. It's very her. And and she did the same thing with the I really don't care to do you jacket. Um, yeah, it seems like everything she does has a, a sense of defiance behind it. Not everything, but but if you think it does, it, it probably does. Yes, exactly. And I also have a saying, I don't believe in Melania Trump coincidences. So anything you think, like, did she wear that? Um, was she? She was. Like, she was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So sort so, of aligned with the question of, like, is Melania a prisoner went the question of like, does she hate her husband or does she love her husband? So I'm curious what your take is on that. Um, and does Melania like fit in with the Trump family? Excellent question. And it reminded me of one thing that I do that was really funny. And it was an off the record lunch, but I feel like we can talk about it now. And I kind of mentioned it in my book, but I had lunch at the White House with her once off the record. And um and she's and I, I, somewhat, I, I sort of said like it's funny. The perception is that you're really unhappy here and you're miserable. And she goes, I know this free Melania, free Melania. Like you know, I'm fine. Look at this plate. And I was like, oh my god, she just made a free Melania. <laughs> she doesn't. <laughs> so she she knows, just referenced yeah. her own meme, which shows how like much she pays attention. Anyway, um, yeah. Uh, the marriage is interesting. I think a lot of people forget that they've been together now for more than 20 years and you know people always say like oh is he so why doesn't she leave him why doesn't you know melania went into the marriage with her eyes open she knew that he was not some sort of bastion of morality and that she was going to be his third wife and that you know he had one of the most public cases of, of marital adultery uh in the history of american popular culture um so you know, I think to sort of paint her as this, like, she should leave him. I mean, she's 
she's clearly getting something out of the relationship. What I've been surprised to find is just how close they are. And I don't mean that in a way that's like, um, you know, they're on date nights every night and like have a passionate relationship. Um, (laughs) I think it's more of a business arrangement, but I think it's one that is based in mutual admiration. Um, She doesn't sleep in the same bedroom. She hasn't for a long time. Um, And, but they do speak on the phone throughout the day mm-hmm. and they do come together. You know, everyone says to me like, Oh, does he even see Baron? I'm like, he sees Baron more than he sees his other kids because she's having, they have dinner every night and he has to, he can't, you know, bop around town. My um, sense is that Baron is also kind of aloof and just does his own thing too. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I always say this too. Um, I think that one of the best things Melania has done is made us forget that there's a minor child that's in the White House. And, um, you know, it's, it's tough being a teenager. It's tough being a teenager who's now six foot five and was yeah. five eleven when he was 10 years old. It, it's tough being a teenager whose father is Donald Trump. Um, so for all of these reasons, and, and she's a very hands-on mom and has been very respectful. He's a big soccer player. Um, she doesn't go to his games out of, him not wanting her to, um, out of the sort of spectacle of it. And, you know, I think he spends a lot of time with her parents. Um, he speaks fluent Slovenian, um, and he has a good, good structure there. Um, but yeah, so the marriage is, you know, I think I love when Melania decides to do something and it's like, excuse me. And he doesn't, mm-hmm. right? Like, like, yeah. So when he says, you know, me and Melania send our wizards or me and Melania say this, that's actually real, just in a different type of partnership than maybe the traditional. Yeah. And I think um, what is real is that like, I always cite the vaping incident. Like she realized she has a son who's, you know, 14 and it was you know the, the vaping is rampant and in, in this area with preteens and she all of a sudden was like no more vaping <laughs> in like a couple of days turned up in the oval office and the president was like we're gonna end vaping and i was like wow. wait what he was <laughs> pretty committed to it remember and yeah, so absolutely the vaping industry on the capitol hill was like uh excuse me mr president that's like you just try to you know like yeah <laughs> but but his knee jerk was like Melania doesn't like vaping like let's make a vaping thing and get rid of it and and I was like, wow, like, okay, yeah. now do guns. Right, now right. Do, you I know, wish she hated the pandemic, yeah. Right. So, um, so it, and, and then also when she wanted that person on the West Wing fired who got in a tiff with her East Wing staff, um, that happened pretty quickly. I mean, when she wants him to do things, he does them. And I think that's very telling of the relationship and who there's also a saying in Slovenian that I love. And it's basically translates to women run, women, the woman gets three corners of the house. The man only gets one. And I think that that is also quite true in the the Trump marriage. So you said that they talk several times a day and that he sees Baron more than the other kids. What, what do you think or know is the content of those conversations? Like, what are they saying to each other? Um, so you, so, I mean, everything. They talk, I mean, she, she, first of all, Donald Trump is a president who does most of his presidency and his decisions by calling people and being like, what do you think? I don't know, what do you think, <laughs> you know? And usually those people are like Sean Hannity and, you know, yeah. Rush Limbaugh, but 
oftentimes they're Melania. And I think it's, um, you know, I think they talk about a lot of issues. They talk about, um, you know, I mean, she's, she, she reads all the press that he does not. Right. So I think that that is, um, that's another thing. Like she'll say, did you read this, you know, story about you and Washington Post? Did you see this? Um, but they do check in quite frequently. You know, I, I once also had an off-the-record dinner at Mar-a-Lago where I personally witnessed them sitting together at the dinner table, you know, in front of everybody on the patio um, and talking. Mm-hmm. So, you know, after people left the dinner, just, you know. And so I, I, I think there's a misperception there that... I mean, when the Stormy Daniels stuff happened and the other infidelity stuff, she wasn't, like, crying in her, like, gilded bedroom. Like, why would he do this to me? She was more like, oh, my God, F you. This is so publicly humiliating. I can't believe I have to deal with this, you dummy. You know what I mean? Isn't there a quote from long before he even said he was running to be president that someone asked, you know, why are you married to him? And and she said uh, something like, well... I think the question was, would you be married to him if he wasn't wealthy? And she said, would he be married to me if I wasn't beautiful? And that's always yes. stuck with me. Like, she gets it. That's that's so accurate. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners. I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you are searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone on any occasion. Now it's easier to find gifts made by independent sellers for all of the people in your life, like the pickleballers, I know plenty of those, the jazz fan, the artist, the pasta lover, whatever niche interest they have, you can find an incredible gift on Etsy. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there is something for everyone. There is so much pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas specifically for my dad, but my dad loves flying. He loves airplanes. He loves aviation, and he never gets sick of a cute little gift that has a reference to that. And the inventory for that on Etsy is incredible. I hope my dad lives for 200 years because I can get him a birthday present related to aviation or planes from Etsy for every single one of them, if not hundreds and hundreds of years more. There really is that much. A gifting moment is always around the corner, but whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. My next question was about her legacy. So we, a lot of people see her as sort of aloof and detached. Um, I think a lot of people are thinking quite a bit about what the next few years might teach us about what happened in this administration with the president and with some of his adult children. But what do you think these next few years will do for Melania's legacy? Do you think we're going to learn more um, about what role she played? Or do you think that forever she will be remembered as this sort of aloof and detached person that was probably complicit, but didn't have much to do? What do you think? How do you think that's going to change in the post-presidency? I mean, I think she'll be sort of, I don't think she's going to do anything in particular in her post-White um, House years. I, I do think uh, her legacy will be one of the I really don't care to you jacket. Um, uh, yeah, you can't the, really overcome that. <laughs> you can't. I'm sure it's going to upset her. Um, and just, as you said, aloof. I don't know if aloof, you know, it depends who you ask. Everything's political. The base finds her to be yeah. elegant and poised and full of grace, mostly because she's quiet and she's, you know, always impeccably dressed, et cetera. You know, and everyone else might think it's, you know, she's this sort of aloof trophy wife fembot. I think her legacy is going to be 
one of not using the office of the first lady to its fullest extent in terms of uh, impact and influence, uh, you know, legislating for something. Um, but I also think her impact will be her independence. I mean, her, her legacy will be her independence um, and that she became the first first lady to not kind of play along. Um, right from the start by not moving to the White House, like right off the bat, she was like, ah, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to change myself, I'm not going to change. So, you know, do I think she's going to go on to save, you know, women's education, a la Let Girls Learn, or even Laura Bush promote, you know, um, women in the Middle East freedom and other things that she's championed? No, I don't. But, yeah. you know, time will tell, but I don't see that happening. Does she care about anything like other than her outfits and just her like kind of home life and her home life? Yeah, with her? I mean, it's interesting because I've, I've been on almost every trip with her and every event in four years. And, and, you know, it's hard to get on TV or, or, you know, make those stories when her husband is literally sucking the news oxygen out of everyone. Um, so, but I've seen her like, you know, get down on the floor and, and play with kids and hold sick babies and spend extra time with families and hospitals and listen to, you know, teachers talk about. So I don't think she's not, uh, I don't think she's uncaring. I don't think she lacks empathy. I, I think she, um, you know, I think she does. I, I think that harnessing that in a way that could be more impactful has been a challenge, but I don't think she lacks the, you know, the, the feeling part. Do you think um, she's been held back in that way at all by her husband's sort of political message? Like, it's pretty rational to wear a mask. It seems like Melania might be fine wearing masks. Do you think she's ever been held back to fully engaging with certain causes because her husband is actively activated against them or no? No, in fact, she has openly come out against him in a way that I'm like, oh, okay, um, several times. Uh, you know, remember when he, you know, criticized LeBron James, for example, and she was like, I, I meet with LeBron James. Um, <laughs> or, you know, when, when the West Wing was marching towards the church during uh, Black Lives Matter in the wake of, you know, the racial tumult in, in Washington, and she was tweeting almost simultaneously, like, we need peace. We need wow. peaceful protests. This country is about peaceful protests. To the point, I, and I wrote a story, a couple of stories about this, that it really annoys the West Wing. Um, and they're like, uh, excuse me, could you not have, you know, conflicting messaging? And those kind of things, you know, when he got in trouble with Stormy Daniels stuff, I think the West Wing, everyone was like, can you please do like a sit-down interview? Or can you please like, and she was like, uh-uh, I'm not even going to go to Davos with them. I'm not even going <laughs> to... I'm not even going to ride the same car with him up to State of the Union, which had never been done before. Wow. Um, so it's been a you know, long I, four years. <laughs> you know. So I, I don't think she worries too much about what he's saying. Or what, but I, I do think people will be surprised by how politically aligned um, she is when she does talk about it. Um, in Africa, when she's done her one and only on the record press gaggle, um, when she walked, when she started walking over to us, we were like, "Oh my gosh, she's coming over here!" Like, we couldn't believe it. Um, she said some things about, and it was during the Kavanaugh hearings, and it was very clear that she, you know, thinks men and women should be heard and believed, and everyone should have evidence. And it was very, 
uh, clear what she was saying and her poll numbers went down. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think when she does start talking, um, you know, it, it affects people realize like, oh, she, she is like him. Yeah. And that affects it. Yeah. She, she is a Trump. I have to ask you, what do you think of the Rose Garden renovation? <laughs> so I am, I studied that 300 page um, report that went through so many channels to get approval for what they did to it. So I actually think it's brilliant because hmm. what was happening to the Rose Garden was it was so um, drought sensitive. The rose, the tree, the cherry blossoms had provided shade and rooting underneath that had destroyed all of the original plants. So what was happening is like every season they'd have to, every few weeks they'd have to put in a new bush or mums oh, for the fall or, you know, so it was really, um, I mean, no one sort of takes the time to whatever, but, but it was really a very Something had to be done. Renovation. Yeah. It needed to be leveled. Um, there needed to be new piping underneath. Um, and every time they would drag cables across there, it would hurt the lawn. Now, now there's a new apparatus for um, live television. Um, and roses take a long time to grow. And she actually planted more roses than had been in the rose garden. Wait, so the roses are there. They're just not there yet. They're just not there yet. I've oh, I feel bad being all cynical about it now. <laughs> I try to like sort of say it without getting. No, you know, I know but- what you mean because like people say that the that the Buckingham Palace is like used to be gross. Like if you don't take care of stuff, it's disgusting. I never realized it was yeah. actually the first lady's job to make sure all that's handled. I wouldn't oh want to do such that. A good job. It seems a little so unfair. It's totally unfair. Like all you are is married to this person. Exactly, <laughs> and then you become and like, really like a the landscaper. Yeah, but right. when, people, when the trees were, everyone was like, she removed Bunny Mellon's trees, the original Jackie. Those trees have been replaced so many times through the years. Um, there is no original Bunny Mellon tree, and the trees That's had funny. to come out or be thin. All she did was thin them because the shade would kill anything beneath it. So it's going to take a while, and maybe like five to ten years until it looks. Um, robust and like yeah. a real rose garden and so you're kind of like oh my god what did she do it's like yeah. when you give your kid a haircut but they like had lice and so you <laughs> had to yeah well, hopefully um, climate change like you know doesn't prevent that from like actually you know realizing what if, Ivanka, what if Ivanka's in power when the roses come into bloom and then Ivanka oh, would be like, oh no I don't want that needs roses. Yeah, rip them out <laughs> you're like no none of that but yeah, that's, that's my thought on the Rose Garden. And, and you know, I, it, some of those things that she's, I mean, the tennis pavilion, what a dumb, what a horribly dumb, ill-timed idea. Um, Very Marie Antoinette. Yeah. Just, totally. just you know, if you're going to do that, do it privately. Don't, you know, not in the middle know. of a pandemic. Like, no, not now. Um, yeah. Oh my God. I'm a nerd about the botanical stuff. So yeah. I was like, yeah. let me read more. And it has to be approved. <laughs> by so many levels, the National Trust, uh, Federation for Preservation, um, the White House Board of Preservation. I mean, there's so many levels that it had to go through um, to get approval. So it's not just her being like, I want it pink. Like it, it right, was, right. yeah. I sometimes walk by the Rose Garden now on the way out to a motorcade or the way to, you know, 
sometimes we have to walk by it to get from the press area to load up for, for vans. And like, I'll look at it and be like, and have my camera as we walk by, I'd be like, oh, look. And I'll be like, and not today. Like, <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Maybe yeah. like, more not, years. Not, it hasn't had its glow up. Like, let's, yeah. it's not there yet. So. <laughs> so you also cover the other, the other members of the Trump family, um, Jared and Ivanka. So, I mean, there's a lot kind of that's been made about the the usurpation of, you know, the first lady role by Ivanka, possibly because she wants to kind of carve out her own political future and because Jared obviously has been given so much power and responsibility. Mm-hmm. So what do you what's your take on that dynamic um, between Melania, Ivanka, and maybe even Jared? Um, I mean, right now it's not good. Uh, you know, all my reporting indicates that uh, the relationship has really deteriorated between Melania and Ivanka. Um, I think before the White House years, it was it was patient and nice on both sides. Um, I think again, Melania has been a very smart third wife, having watched her two predecessors. Um, you know, and I think she doesn't mind when there's those there were those pictures of like. Trump with one arm really around Ivanka, but like one arm really around Melania too. And it was always, he, even now, if he mentions once, interesting, if he says, well, Ivanka did a great job. And so did Melania. Melania. Oh, that's so like, funny. Between, if you go like back and watch. It's triangulation. It's also totally, just kind of infuriating yeah. to hear how much power they actually maybe do have over him that doesn't seem like they're using for good. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of, um, I would say of, of, influencers in his life and people who of course cannot be fired nor trashed on Twitter and dragged in the mud, the people he has are Ivanka and Melania, both equally. Um, so, but I think the White House years have been tough. I think they're very different people. I think right off the bat, you could see that Ivanka was very much trying to paint this Kennedy-esque Camelot, you know, vision with her kids. She's sort of doing that again now in the past couple yeah. weeks. Um, and Melania would no sooner put a picture of Barron up and be like, here's Barron making spaghetti or singing in Chinese or all the things that Ivanka, like just think about that mind blowing difference between personality. And I think yeah. you have in a nutshell, what has really risen to the surface in the past uh, four years. Um, there's definitely tension, you know? And I, and I think that, you know, we saw some of that at Thanksgiving, Melania and Trump and her parents and Barron had dinner of Thanksgiving at the White House and all the adult kids went off to Camp David and had their own thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's going to be interesting to watch unfold in the years to come. Yeah, yeah. So this fall, the president and first lady tested positive for COVID-19. The, the president got very ill. We might not ever know how ill exactly. And the first lady also tested positive along with her teenage son. You have been working in the White House. And, and even before this, we knew that they weren't really taking precautions. I mean... What has it been like? Have you had, have you been scared? Is it scary to just do your job and go in that building? Did any of your colleagues get sick? I mean, how has it been? And how was that moment? Um, I mean, it's been not, not great. I, uh, as soon as COVID happened, I mean, CNN has been very proactive about keeping us safe, especially um, in the White House. Most of our, our uh, correspondents and producers, you know, the White House press area is, is basically like shoeboxes put together for different bureaus and outlets. And it's very small for us down there. And so they've limited the number of people who can actually be in the White House. And a lot of it is really brilliant smoke and mirrors on CNN's behalf where we've sort of taken over ancillary spaces that look like we're there, but we're not, or we're oh, cool. at our home studio. Um, so, 
so, so yes and no. I'm not at the White House as much as like my West Wing colleagues needs to be like Caitlin Collins or Jim Acosta. Um, so it hasn't affected me much. If I need to be there, if I need to go an event with the first lady, I'm tested by the White House. I'm in her motorcade. I'm back. I'm going, you know, so, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, certainly the people, colleagues of mine in the White House press corps have gotten sick and, um, you know, the rallies were especially challenging to cover for a lot of people. Um, I will say Melania was the first Trump to publicly wear a mask and on her Twitter back in April and on events with her, she has been, um, the four or so events she did during the election were all at open air areas and, and people right. were required to wear masks. Um, so it was better than his, but you know, in general, it's, you know, this week's our holiday parties all over the place and, and people are getting sick from them. And that's not press, but guests. And I, it's so funny to me, you know, there's a cabinet secretary whose, whose wife, and unfortunately I feel terrible, recently came up positive. And the statement is like, she's been following CDC guidelines, she's been tested, we're staying, you know, quarantined. It's like, they follow the rules after. They, you right, know, right, CDC right. guidelines mean bumpkiss until you get it. And then it's like, but we are, even the people on Capitol Hill who are, you know, we're quarantined parties. Like, there's a wild. whole cottage industry of just like, coronavirus guidelines like fake comments comments that people make it's bizarre i could have sworn that nobody gives an f about christmas yet (laughs) party after party (laughs) i do understand though not to come to her defense but just to sort of keep it fair i i understand what she was saying she was sort of saying listen i'm damned if i do damned if i don't if i do something substantive i get slammed so in a way i i i understand what she was saying she wasn't just like she had a she had a broader point so hey there overwhelmed foodies are you drowning in a sea of meal kit options feeling like you're in a bad dating game where every contestant looks the same with the same fish picture fear not because amidst the chaos there's one shining star worth your culinary affection home chef is not just another fish in the meal kit sea they're the gourmet catch that you've been dreaming of Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes, conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you and the entire family covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week, and they serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it is economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. So for a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash feverdream. That's homechef.com slash feverdream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash feverdream. You must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. Are you excited to cover the uh, the Biden administration and Dr. Jill Biden? Yeah, I mean, I think um, the last four years have been fascinating for me covering Melania Trump because she is so difficult to cover. Um, no interviews and private, and so it's sort of been like, okay, how do I do this? Mm-hmm. You know, in, in in a very loyal, trusting circle. It's not like the West Wing is like a sieve, and everyone's like. Pfft. Hey, press. Melania's side is like, you know, yeah, very, not like that. Um, so, 
I might miss the challenge of going back to something more traditional, <laughs> but I'm excited to have a, um, to, to cover our first lady who, who I think will have uh, substantive uh, policy initiatives, um, who will have a more robust staff, um, who will probably do more travel and solo travel, um, and who's, you know, savvy about Washington. I'm going to be mm-hmm. really interested to see how Dr. Jill Biden uses her um, street smarts about Washington um, to create this role. Uh, so that, that part is it's really interesting to me. Yeah. As you were talking, I realized, you know, Donald Trump has sucked up all the unprecedented of the past four years that we've maybe overlooked some ways that Melania was unprecedented too. Like not, not necessarily for better or for worse, but in a lot of the decisions that she made and the influence that she had, it's just been such a, such a like four alarm, five alarm fire for the past four years. We maybe overlooked it. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that she has done and held to is that she hasn't tried to be anything she's not. And I think, you know, women criticize her abundantly and for many things and I, you know, I'm sure that that's fair, but I think what she hasn't gotten a fair judgment on is the fact that she is, you know, not trying to be anything that she's not. She's not pretending she's some great orator, uh, prolific, you know, writer, or she's some sort of brilliant political mind. She's like, I'm a, I'm a wealthy stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. And what I'm good at are things like hosting, uh, picking patterns for the furniture, uh, inviting the right number of guests. And, and, I, and I think there are a lot of women out there, um, stay-at-home moms. I mean, I've got tons of friends whose jobs it is uh, to run their household. It, it's sort of apples and oranges. I get it. Um, send all the mail, not to me, but to you guys. Um, (laughs) But I do in a way respect that she has stuck to her wheelhouse in a way. And um, and there are a lot of things behind the scenes she's done for the White House in terms of improvements and making sure renovations. I'm not talking about the tennis building. Tennis court. I'm not talking about that. That was like a what? But um, interior wise, I mean, they're 65,000 pieces in the White House collection. You know, they're all needing something at some time. Previous first ladies haven't necessarily been like, okay, it's my mm-hmm. priority to make sure the Dolly Madison, you know, dining room set that. is right. But she loves that. Really? So that's what she has done. So why doesn't she message more about that? Like why, why doesn't she then say like, it, it, this is a respectable thing for women to to do if they want to, because there is an importance in like preserving the White House as like an institution. So why, why not kind of like try to put Especially respect? Because as them. you were saying it, I was thinking about these are these are tasks that members of the royal family are generally celebrated for embracing. <laughs> yeah. Totally. I mean, Jackie Kennedy established the White House Historical Association. She was like, oh, my God, this hasn't been happening. Let's create this. And Jackie Kennedy is lauded. I mean, you know, here's my short answer to that. She doesn't care. She doesn't care whether it's made public or not. She's going to do it. She's not like him where he's like, I created a vaccine. I ended North Korea and wants those sort of bizarre and false uh, accolades. She's just like, you know, she doesn't need, she doesn't care whether we know or not. Um, Which has been frustrating. Like sometimes I'll see on her Twitter, like she's popped up at some, you know, fire station or something to give COVID, you know, lunch packages or just thanks first responders. And I'm like, you know, I'll get on the phone and be like, why don't these, these are the things like why 
I'm not going to report off of a tweet. If I'm there in person, I can okay. cover this and talk about it fairly and why she's going. And, you know, the last thing I got into with them was they, she installed a sculpture in the uh, Rose Garden. And I heard oh. about it via like a press release. And I was like, uh, it's the people's house, A. <laughs> um, B, like, this is the kind of thing that media should be at. Yeah. Why did you pick the sculpture? Who paid for it? Where did it come from? And, you know, I go 10 rounds sometimes with her office about stuff like this. And the short answer is she doesn't care. Um, and that sounds cold and harsh, but for first ladies, sometimes who overly care, like, you know, you get a, mm-hmm. I mean, let's, I'll use Ivanka Trump, for example. She's very um, aware of her press. And it was like, oh, Ivanka Trump, so carefree. <laughs> but like, she's very cold. To, like, if she does one thing, like, I'll get, you know, 15 emails. <laughs> Melania is the opposite. And again, yeah. sometimes to her detriment, because I think these are things that could have humanized her you know, I, I don't think she's ever going to do push-ups on, you know, Jimmy Fallon, uh, whatever, <laughs> or go on Ellen and, you know, do a dance-off. But I do think she could have been more open to having people know, know what she cares about. Yeah. You know, when you put it in the terms of Melania, who kind of is just like, I'm going to do it and I don't need to be celebrated and like, leave me alone, versus Ivanka, who's like, who, you know... She wants uh, she wants an award for opening an envelope. Like it's kind of more respectable the Melania way. Melania is yeah. consistent. It's interesting you say that, Sammy, because I I am often torn between and I put this in my book. Sometimes really feeling like Melania is almost a feminist in a way. She has a lot of feminist qualities. Again, don't send your letters to me. <laughs> and, and at the same time, being completely frustrated by the lowering of the bar that um, she has set for first ladies in general. And I don't mean that in a, in a personal way. I just mean that in, in terms of, of, you know, what the platform is and what can be made of it. So I struggle between these two, um, room, two thinking patterns. In one way, I'm like, yeah, why should she have to heavy lift something? Why should she have to stand next to him? Why should she have to develop a platform and take care of the house? And the first lady, just, it's a miserable job in so many ways. And then part of me is like, yeah, but you have this voice for the world. Like, why make this convoluted be best thing when she could have just focused on opioids and kids and, you know, help legislation? You know what I mean? Like, right. So yeah. It of- seems it seems like maybe she didn't realize that by opt- opting out wasn't an option. It was going to make it look like you were intentionally defying these things because you just didn't care. My final question is, um, you, I believe, have a background in editorial and in fashion as well. Um, can you talk about, because we always get questions from our audience about our career paths and people want to know, what is your career path and how do you think that background helped you in this role? Um, that's a really good question. I've had a very disparate but really enjoyable career path and I've been very lucky to do jobs that I've always loved about things I've been interested in. Um, my first job out of college was working for Hardball with Chris Matthews. I started a week before the Lewinsky story broke. I was the, you know, in my early 20s and Washington went bonkers. Yeah. Um, then I was offered a job to write a gossip column at a newspaper in Las Vegas. And I was 25 and I was like, okay. <laughs> and never been there before. And it mm-hmm. sort of, I love popular culture. I went to St. John's college. I read the classics. I'm a philosophy major. Um, but I always had this very deep interest in popular culture. So I was a celebrity journalist for a long time. Um, you know, I covered Vegas, which is fascinating in and of itself. 
I did TV, local news. I ran magazines. I was editor-in-chief of some glossies. Um, and then moved back to D.C. and was fashion editor at the Washingtonian. Um, and just, you know, I've always been interested in that intersection of social um, world and politics and how the town feeds on itself. And um, so anyway, it's just sort of, I started writing a newsletter and um, I always say it's like the... Um, the indie band who doesn't know the the record executive is in the back of the room watching their gig. And I had no idea. Um, but my partner, my writing partner at the time and I were writing this newsletter and Jeff Zucker um, heard about it and thought we, you know, this would be a good moment for CNN. And, you know, awesome. I, I will say like my, my path for, as a journalist has been, you know, I go to a lot of things. I used to be editor in chief of fantasy magazine. So I go to all kinds of parties and meet people. And that's really helped. You know, totally. people think that I get my nails done and my hair done all the time because I'm vain. I'm not. It's because like, I, dude, I love to sit in a salon and chat it up with, you know, I have lots of uh, beauty team members who are also members of beauty teams of other important people in town. Um, those are the best, that's the best way to get information, actually. When I wrote a gossip column in Vegas, it really taught me that the people to know are like the valet parkers, the bartenders, the cocktail waitresses, you know, as equally as important as the CEOs of the hotels. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I like to think I treat everyone with kindness and respect. And um, I've just been really lucky. I, um, People have always recognized my work and offered me really cool jobs. I will say this for your listeners. I feel strongly that as like women and journalists, we don't have to box ourselves in with one, um, one thing. People sometimes come at me on Twitter for talking about fashion. I, I love fashion. I love interpreting what people wear as, as, as sort of following their personality. Lots of male journalists tweet about sports all the time. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, if tomorrow someone was like, hey, would you like to go be vice president of marketing for Chanel in Paris? I would be like, yes, please. You know, but I would also be like, I would love to host Face the Nation or, you know, whatever. I'm just hypothetically. So I think doing what you love is is so paramount or what interests you. And that for me um, has really worked and I've been lucky about it. But there's not one path. I didn't go to journalism school. I was a philosophy major. That's encouraging. Yeah. As someone who also didn't go to journalism school. (laughs) Yeah, no, as you were talking, I got my start in like, in like party reporting in the city. I didn't want to go up and ask, ask Maggie Gyllenhaal, like what she was wearing or her plans (laughs) for Christmas. I did not want to do that. But when I did do some reporting, it had me, made me more prepared to just go up to strangers and ask them questions I didn't want to ask them. So yeah, there is no path. I think it's just like the skill, refining the skill itself. One thing I did learn that reminds me in my Vegas years covering celebrities, always ask the question, the worst question at the end, because you'll get thrown out. So I'd always start off with like, what's the movie like? And then I'd be like, and your affair with your co-star? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. My, my story, my the end to that, that story is that Maggie Gyllenhaal was very mean to me, but I'll save that for another. Yes. Another, another, <laughs> another day. Another. I always say like my Vegas book is still, my Vegas book is going to write itself someday. Oh, exciting. Look forward to that. Thank you so much for your time, Kate. Until the end of democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Sammy Sage. And this is the Betches Sub Podcast. The Betches Sub Podcast is produced by Sean Kilby and Amanda Duberman. Our podcast managers are Mike Coscarelli and Sean Kilby. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Artwork by Brittany Levine. Be sure to follow us at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send your emails to sup at Betches.com. 
Betches.